1: Hard-working people, working hard for you and me Moving higher, time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher Hello and
0: welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire Helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years for more information, go to axontire.com. Tractor Zoom delivering insights. A great place to see what's going on in the auction market. Use Tractor Zoom's 500 independent auction houses uh, in their iron comps function to uh, see what's going on in the auction market. So, if you're interested in doing that, use Moving Iron at checkout and <laughs> get yourself a nice little discount. Also, Arrow is a great CRM out there for salespeople to sell more stuff. So I've got Sean Hackett here with me, and you might notice a little background noise here, and that's because we are recording live together at the Moving Iron Summit here in Nashville, Tennessee. Sean was uh, nice enough to come down and give his presentation about uh, the sunspot stuff and, and all the stuff you see happening out there with the weather. And the nice thing about that, Sean, is that I've never left a meeting that you've given that speech to where somebody didn't come back and be like, I've never heard anybody talk about
1: that before. It's very, very common. that say that, that, that they come up to me, and go, How come no one else is talking about these cycles that apparently are well researched, mm-hmm. well understood, and have been out there for a long, long time? And uh, it's a very good question. Um, unfortunately, those that would talk about it aren't given the airtime. Right. So
0: yeah, it's uh it's pretty sad because I will tell you what, folks, if you, if you have a chance to take a look at this stuff and really educate yourself on what this stuff is, it, it will it will open your eyes to a whole new Dimension, I guess, is the best way to put it, of, of things that, that normally people wouldn't, wouldn't know anything about. And until I met Sean, I had no idea what he, what, he, what any of this stuff was. So it's, it's really educated me and opened my eyes in a lot of different directions. So, Sean, let's just jump over and talk about the markets here a little bit. So, we had that September report come out last week, kind of bounced around a little bit on it, and kind of, you know, USDA kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, they just kicked the can, can down. There's a lot of selling going into that report. Um, and I, I don't really think it provided anything, like, more bearish. I mean, it just, it was kind of like, okay, we thought it'd be bearish. It was bearish. Why should we sell anymore? And so you're getting this kind of sell the rumor and buy the fact. And, and now we're hearing some... You know, now Harvest is going. I think we're 37% done as of the USDA data. You know, we're going to be 50% here soon. And we're starting to hear some not so good yields in the Eastern Corn Belt. Not bad, but right. but not as good as we were hearing they were going to be. Remember, the West is so bad, the market's counting on the East yeah. to be over the top. And if it's just good but not great, then Houston, we have a problem. And I think the market's starting to get worried you know that 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 the yields are too high, and you know we've been very clear for a long time. Yeah. The yields are too high, right? And they need to come down.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that situation for just one second. When when do you think is it the October report that October twelfth October twelfth? So the October twelfth report came out. Do you feel like that's going to have an impact on on the market? Or do you still think that the USD is going to hang out till the, the typical January report to make that big splash in the market?
1: I think they're going to make some adjustments in October. Okay, they won't wait. I mean, they It well, doesn't mean they make all the adjustments. Right. But they'll the the, the way the things work is the direction of October is the direction for the rest of the year. Okay. Small crops keep getting smaller or larger. So if they decide to go down in October, they're going to go down in November. They're going to go. You know, they're going to keep going down until they finally get to the right number. Remember. They, they can get this, produ- we think production in corn is 300 to 400 million bushels too high. They either get there by just doing the yield, or they take some of the harvested acres down. We think they should take some of the harvested acres down, but you know, it's not up to me to decide what the USDA is going to do. But if they stick to the numbers of harvested acres, then they need to come down to this 172 area right. like last year. Yep. All
0: right, let's talk about wheat and rice for a little bit, okay? Side by side, you have seen some big numbers in wheat. Rice is kind of bouncing around down there, kind of doing its thing. As you take a look at both of those right now, especially with the pressure that we're seeing on upward pressure that we're seeing on wheat right now, how does that story play out for you?
1: I mean, the whole thing about the high-quality wheat market is we had a disastrous spring wheat global crop, not just U.S. and Canadian prairies, but Russia. I mean, just a disaster. Yeah. So we don't have any. It's a we just we, and so hard red winter wheat. Everyone's going to use as much of that high quality portion of that crop that they can to try to blend it in with the spring wheat and make it all work out so that they can get to the next crop next year and hopefully have a big crop and all as well. And that means that the high quality and the hard red winter wheat and, uh, and the spring wheat are going to be well-bid. This is food consumption for humans now. If you don't like the price, you can always slaughter an animal. That's always an option. Slaughtering a human being, you have, a, you have some some other issues with that. Key the consequences so, there. So, yeah. so it, it's really important. And if you run out of high quality wheat, so if you think about what we said today at your in our presentation at your summit, um, you know our planting. What if we we're not, we think we're going to have a chaotic spring wheat planting season, and we think we're going to have a chaotic dormant coming out of dormancy season for hard red winter wheat. So if 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 we if, if the market starts to think that we're not going to have a big crop for the high-quality portion for a second year in a row, I mean, you, you can't mess around with the, with this. And so if they can't get it, they're going to get it from rice. Right. They, both markets interchange. we got too much of this, I'll go for this. And, and so right now there's plenty of rice out in Asia. Not as much here, but out in Asia there's plenty. But if we get in a situation where there's a scarcity trade, uh, the, the, the rice cr- supplies will be imported and bought very rapidly by those that can't get the high quality wheat so we we think that rice wheat area is going to be a really strong area going into the spring summer of next year
0: okay all right so typically we do two different two different podcasts when we come in we talk yes. about what's going on in, in the common cash markets and then we talk about some of the soft side stuff so we're not going to have that opportunity this week so i'm going to i'm going to abuse you here a little bit sean are going to we're going to talk about twice <laughs> talk about two stuff so let's talk about the coffee situation that we see down in brazil right that situation has gotten no better, right? They're still in the same drought cycle that we've seen. They've gotten some rains here and there, but the damage has been done, right? And if you take a look at what... And plus what you've talked about in, in your uh, speech today at, at, at the Moving Iron Summit, it's kind of going to be there for a little bit longer. So I guess talk about the coffee market and what you see out there, because I like coffee, and I don't want it to pay any more than I have to for it.
1: Well, I'm a coffee connoisseur myself, so I, yeah. no one wants to have a shortage of coffee. I don't want that at all. But... Um, Remember we had this historic drought in Brazil that was fed by the La Nina from last year. Right. Um, the worst ever. The entire growing season for coffee was a drought. It's really never happened before that I'm aware of mm. in modern day times. And then we had a double frost in the month of July, the first frost in 26 years. We've never had a drought and a frost. It, it's, there's no data point you can go to and say, well, this is what we can expect. So the market doesn't know what to think. So we had this big run-up, and we've had this kind of correction, and we're, we're just waiting for the first flowering. The first flowering is the big flowering that sets the potential for the next crop. The first major rains looks to us, it's going to occur early October and provide the first flowering. We think the market is, is waiting to confirm that that flowering is going to not be good. We think they're unwilling to take the market higher just because they have no data point to go by. So you know what? Let's just see the first flowering. But our view, the first flowering is going to be really, really bad. And then we're going to go to a hot dry pattern for the back half of October. And if you don't get follow-on rains in the coffee flowering, then a lot of those flowers will abort and fall off and not produce any coffee. So we think if, if we're looking at the timing of coffee to really advance to its next wave higher we think from mid-October onward when that recognition that that first flowering is not happening then there's no way to make the crop what it needs to be then it's a really wild ride to the next level we have to demand ration coffee is what we have to do remember in the pandemic year of 2020 every single commodity had down year for demand except coffee was up marginally so if we couldn't knock coffee demand down in a pandemic you know how hard it is to hurt coffee demand I'm not saying it can't be done but $1.90 or $1.85 is not going to do it.
0: <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> All right. So now let's jump over and take a look at sugar market. Sugar market is, you know, right in the middle of sugar beet harvest in those key growing areas of, of the, uh, you know, those five major sugar beet growing areas of the United States. Um, right now, my reports that I'm getting out of the panhandle of Nebraska are tons are there, sugar's there, um, it's not... What they thought it was going to be um, but it's still better than what they've had in several years last year with the early frost we had the united states sugar supply wasn't nearly as big as what well. we had to import a little sugar in from those kind of places but as you take a look at what's been going on in brazil for example some frost that you see there now that's one thing but you take a look at over in like india Thailand, those areas where, where sugarcane is, is harvested, they're having some decent years. So just talk about sugar and what you see happening there.
1: Well, the, the same drought that impacted the coffee crop in Brazil also impacted the sugar crop. Okay. And even though a frost normally doesn't actually necessarily hurt sugar because it increases sugar content, it was two in a row. And if you don't harvest or cut the sugar pretty quickly then you start to lose yield, even with higher sugar content. Yeah. And so they weren't able to get in there because we had a frost not too far afterwards, and they had to stay out of the field. So, um, so that caused a major shortage. They're the number one exporter of sugar in the world, and if they go down, you have a problem. Um, and we've been dealing with that. We've gone up, we're have up gone up to 20 cents now from 10 cents a year right. ago. So, yep. but, but right around the corner is a very, very good Indian crop and a very, very good uh, th- Thailand crop. Those are two big exporters of sugar. And so we're going to see, it doesn't mean that removes the shortage, but it's certainly going to ease it for a while. So we're thinking that, you know, th- th- their supplies start coming in in the month of November. So we're thinking that, you know, the market's going to start anticipating that new supply. So we're thinking, you know, September could be a, a place where the market tops out and, uh, and has a correction. You know, and, and then, once again, you put enough of the sugar away, you harvest pressure, you you, you export what you have to export, and then we could... Find a low and then tighten the market again. But we think right now we're probably near a top for now. If I'm in the sugar business, you know I might be making some cash sales here. Yeah. So
0: okay. One thing that we haven't talked about much, and it's shame on me for not doing it, but the dairy market as You take a look at what's going on there. That dairy price has come way down. You know we're in the 16s right now. Um, some bouncing around 17, but it's it's hovering in that 16 dollar mark. Um, it's a struggle for a lot of guys at that particular uh, price point to really make those margins happen. So I guess talk about what you see happen in the dairy market and some of the drivers there. Well,
1: we have, we have to remember the context. Last year, the government food box program Correct. goosed the milk price with what we call artificial demand. It wasn't real demand. And it was great while it lasted. But after a good party, you know, the hangover can be brutal. And when in May they said Fair. they're going to stop doing that, then the, then the market had to come down to find where the real buyer was willing to pay for milk. And I th- we think... The 17 area, upper 16 area, is an area that we're finding demand coming back again. We've stabilized. We've bounced off a little. We think we're about we're in a process of putting a low in the market. Doesn't mean we're expecting some crazy wild upside yet, but we think we put in a low and we can work our way higher into the strong demand part of the season here, you know, into the holidays. So, so we think the worst is over. We're at a level, as you said, uneconomical. No one's making any money. Production's starting to be cut back. You know, and, and so, so the, the market's doing what it's doing. It's it's cu- it's slowing down this production that never should have grown this fast had the government meddling not got involved. Yeah. So, so the bad news is that happened. The good news is I think we think we're about we're we're, we're clearing the decks and we're setting up for some better pricing this fall.
0: Right All right. Last but not least, let's talk about cotton a little bit. So you've had two different hurricanes, Ida come through, uh, dumped a bunch of rain. You got the next one coming in that's supposed to hit landfall any time now, and it's, they're still kind of projecting that to go through Texas. As we've talked about here before, you know, cotton's way behind schedule, about two to three weeks, depending on where you're at. Do you still look to see like this next hurricane that comes through? You're talking like 24 inches of rain and this kind of stuff. Talk about that a little bit, how you see it's going to impact cotton.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the crop is still very vulnerable because it's late developing, very vulnerable. Um, so, you know, once again, it all depends. You know where where that storm exactly tracks, but if it tracks in the in the wrong area, um, it could still cause some significant quality damage. Remember, the reason that demand for U.S. cotton is so strong, typically from Asia, is because we grow high quality cotton that the rest of the world does not grow. And but if we lose that quality advantage, then we have to discount the price to reflect the lower quality portion of it. So it's a big problem. Doesn't mean necessarily that the volume comes down that much. It will. But it really means that the volume of qu- high quality cut comes down a lot, and that ruins our market from who we sell to, because right. the Chinese buy the high quality and they mix it with their low quality, and then they they do what they do. Um, they wouldn't be able to do that t- to the same degree that they're doing it right now, and so that's something to pay attention to. Uh, the, the hurricane season usually has its final peak in, uh, in mid-October, so until we get to mid-October or, or beyond that, there's still you know we're not out of the woods. Yeah. And it just looks like this year those storms just want to track right. in the, the deep south. Yeah. It just, yeah. you know, that's just a track for whatever reason. That's yeah. where it's going. And South Florida, so far, where I live, mm-hmm. you know, it has gone to the west, it's gone to the east, yep. and it's, it's, it's left us alone. So, you know, not that I'm wishing bad on anyone, but I certainly don't want a hurricane where I live, that's right. for
0: sure. No, I, I, I can understand that. So. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Um, if folks want to reach out to you, and get more information about what you're doing or want to sign you up to be a speaker at one of their events, what's the best way to do that?
1: Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have a podcast, we have white papers, we have sample reports. You know, We have information on how you can use our booking agent to book us to do some of these meetings, which right now would be incredibly timing-wise to, that you can still take positive action. So lots of stuff on there to see if what we do... Might be a value to who's listening to your show. Outstanding.
0: Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast as well as any blogs I have posted out there Out there will get up, shown up there as well. So also go to MovingIronLLC.com, and you'll get all the information about everything that is Moving Iron Podcast. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com.
1: Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people.